Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Anybody ready for Christmas? Some of you, okay. (laughs) Others of you like, no, don't bring it up, man. All right, fine. So here's what we're going to do. Um... I thought we, are, uh, we would go into one of those famous Christmas stories uh, in the Gospels. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Christmas. We'll do that through uh, you know, Christmas. And then uh, in, in January, we'll, we'll go into the book of Acts. But uh, if you have a Bible, do me a favor. Open it up to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to be today, which is where the Christmas story uh, begins. And so we're going to look at some, some neat Christmas stuff. And so in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26... Uh, And we're going to read this story every single week for the next three weeks. And so here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, by the way. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, it, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And look at verse 37. I love this verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's a good line, right? I'm going to grab my water here. Getting a little bit cotton mouth. I've been preaching a little bit. So here we go. All right. Nothing will be impossible with God. And what what, uh, Gabriel tells Mary is some statements about who Jesus is and the types of stuff that he will do. And so what we're going to do is over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about each of those statements and how they came to fruition in the Gospels and human history uh, because it's incredible. And if you're like sort of tuning out and you're like, okay, like why in the world should I care about this? Here's why. Because before anything happened with Jesus, the Father said that it would. Before like any of the stuff with, with, with Christ, before like any like Jesus steps into into the pages of human history, God spoke and said it would be this way. Now this is, here's why this is important for your life and for mine. It's important because we need to remember that God keeps His promises. Let me say that again. God keeps his promises. This is true in the Gospels. This is true in the Scriptures. It's also true of your heart, your life, your soul, your spirit, and mine. Hey, maybe you, you received a prophetic word years ago. And the Lord promised you he was going to do this or do that. And you've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting. Lord, when? Don't lose heart. Dear one, God keeps his promises. Hey, maybe you wonder, like, okay, can my sins really be forgiven? Can, like, is it really wiped away? And, and, and you look at your past and you go, I don't know, but I'm filled with so much shame. Well, God keeps his promises that as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. 
Maybe you wonder, do I really have hope of what's on the other side of death? Yes, you do. Because God keeps his promises. And I want to show you over the next three weeks how ridiculously great he does. And so the first statement that, that Gabriel tells Mary is what we're going to focus in on today. And it's just simply this, what he says about Jesus. He says that he will be great. He'll be great. And you go, ta-da. Well, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is great. Yeah, that's true. But you need to understand how great. Like just, not even from like a, like a otherworldly perspective. I'm not talking about heaven and angels. Just the world that we know. I don't know any historian that is going to argue with the fact that there has not been a more influential figure in human history than Jesus Christ, ever. Like, and, and this is important, okay, because we can't explain why we should care about or even know Jesus' name. The world that Jesus was born into was one where it was might equals right. If you have power, if you have money, then we'll know who you are, we'll care what you have to say. But Jesus is the poor son of a carpenter. His, his birth is surrounded by scandal. He dies at a young age. We should not know about Jesus' life, and yet we do. And not only do we know it, his life has shaped the entire earth in the 2,000 years since he walked with physical feet on the planet. And today I want to tell you six ways Six ways that Jesus has absolutely flipped human history. First one is this. One-third, right now, today, 2,000 years later, one-third of the world's population identifies as Christian. Right now. Okay, like, like there's not a more, like, like a bigger movement, but right now on the planet, as we speak, one-third of the population of the planet says, Jesus is the Lord, and I believe that. That's not a small feat. And you know what? That number is growing. And sometimes what happens is we, we look at, at the, the, the deconstruction in the West and we look at how people are rejecting things that, for, for all kinds of reasons and we forget that actually, no, our religion isn't shrinking. It's growing in leaps and bounds in really unexpected ways. Like right now, the, the biggest church in the world is the church in China, like where it's, where it's illegal, where they're being persecuted. But that's where like, like, like the most Christian, like, like where God's spreading the fast, but it's not in China. I, I have a friend who's a missionary, and primarily what he does is he reaches folks in the hardest to reach places in the Middle East. And by the way, uh, we broadcast into the Middle East. So hey, brothers, sisters, if you're watching, hi, good to see you guys. Um, and, 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 and he was talking with me about how, like, there reached a, a news report last year on Al Jazeera, which said that 17,000 people were converting to Christianity from Islam per day. Per day on Al Jazeera. And my, my friend said, listen, he goes, I think those numbers are, like, they put that out there because they have to. I think those numbers are, are conservative. Our numbers are closer to 30,000. Okay. So when we think, or like, like, you know, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to the church? It's growing. Why? Because Jesus Christ is great. He is. From here, I, I'm going to actually, I'm going to cite uh, uh, an article by a guy named Tim Arndt called Six Undeniable Ways That Jesus Changed the World for the Better. So I don't want to plagiarize. These, these are his going forward, but I think they're good. And so I just want to you know, not reinvent the wheel. So the next thing that I want you to understand, like an incredible way that Jesus has absolutely decimated human history, flipped things around in ways that no one ever had before or since, is this. His influence on the, he was the catalyst uh, for women's rights. Chaos for women's rights. Now, let me just, I know that seems like, well, no, like Christianity is oppressive towards women. No, it is not. No, it is not. Listen, you need to understand how Jesus did things. 
to understand like what this is happening. Like like when we when we read the like we read for instance like we we look at this with, with through lenses of of scars and abuse and sometimes we read into the scripture not what they say and how groundbreaking it is. So for instance, like in the book of Ephesians, when when okay we look at like the wives submit to your husband's stuff and so we're like oh man that's so oppressive. Yeah you know the, the flip side of that is husbands love your wives um, as Christ loves the church right like the idea that the husband is to love his wife as his own body he should care for her like more than anyone or anything else, right? Okay, do you understand that when, when the Apostle Paul who follows in the teachings of Jesus says like husbands are to love their wives that nobody thought that should be a thing? Do you, like, like, do you know that? Do you know how second-class citizens women were? And yet what we find with Jesus is that he has no problems having uh, followers who are women. Hey, the first witnesses of his resurrection at the empty tomb were women. We find that, that okay, in an age which, which taught that, listen, it was okay for men to divorce their wives for whatever reason they wanted. She could burn the toast, and then you could just leave her destitute, okay? Jesus makes all this provision and protection for women from divorce and destitution. Do you know that? Do you know, like, how he redeemed women of all circumstances, from wealth to prostitution? Are you aware of that? And you should just know, by the way, that women, like, as the, as, as the, 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 the gospel of Jesus began to spread in the, in the first century, that women flocked to Christianity. They didn't see it as, as contrary to their gender. In fact, to the point where people who were opponents of Christianity mocked it, they called it a woman's religion. Fun fact. Fun fact. And the reason, by the way, that you have a hard time with this. The reason, by the way, like why like I say this here, like, no, 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 it's like this or it's like that, is that you don't understand something fundamental about how you come to look at the world. And it's like, like so, so you hear, all right, it's, it's, it's oppressive, it's this or it's that. But one of the things that you don't understand is how you got your worldview. So what, what I mean is this, okay? Um, all of us, whether you're Christian or not, if you grew up in the West, you have inherited a Christian worldview. Now, you might reject parts of it, but you have to understand like, that the way you look at the world is not natural to human nature. It's not. You, you know how you can know that? Go to places that have rejected Christianity. Like take the 1040 window. Look, like, look at places where, where, okay, like, where, where, where Jesus has been replaced with other religions and look at the way they treat women. Cover your face, cover your head. Like, don't speak to man unless he's a relative. Like, that is human nature. It is human nature to oppress. But what, what Jesus did was this. Like, listen, this is important. You just assume that you're right, but you don't know what you're right to. You appeal to a standard that you don't even know what you're appealing to. You say, well, it should be this way. And you don't know where you got your should. And I'm telling you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Like, you, like, let me just take it a step further, okay? Because I, I really don't think that we get this. Think about, um, like, back to the idea of China, all right? Like, when we talk about women's rights, do you understand that in China for years and years and years to try to control the population, they had forced abortions? Are you aware of that? But what happens is we live in a whitewashing of history. We live in a revisionist history that what we do is, okay, I like these parts of Christianity. I like these parts of Jesus' teachings because they don't challenge me to change anything in my life. And I'll reject stuff that does. And what I'm telling you is you are appealing to an authority that's greater. But if you're going to appeal to that, you better submit to it. Okay? And what we find, by the way, is that the teachings of Jesus taught us something that no one ever taught. It was groundbreaking to his day. Hey, men and women, while different, and we are, he didn't ignore that. He didn't pretend that gender is fluid and it's just a social construct. He said, no, listen, God made them male and female. Okay? 
while we're different, we both have a place at the table, and we can still celebrate our differences. Look, let me, let me tell you, like, here's the first sermon ever preached in church, ever. This is by, like, like when, when the church begins, okay, like the church of Jesus, this is like what, what uh, the apostle Peter, he, he appeals to. He says this in, in Acts 2, 17, 18. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And look at who he, he, he cites, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You know where he got that from? Jesus. It's why Paul can write this in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody can be part of this thing. And that started with Jesus. And that leads us to the next thing, by the way. So we saw this idea of this not being part of human nature. You need to know that Jesus is the driving force of human rights in the world. The belief, okay, like that we appeal to all the time in our culture, even by those who, who reject Christ, the belief that all human beings have worth and dignity is not something that you're born with. You don't, you, you don't come out of the womb believing that. Again, that comes from a worldview that appeals to the teachings of Christ and Jesus believed this. He believed that all human beings had dignity simply because they were human beings, because they were made in the uh, in the image of God. It's why you should just know this. It's why that like when people say things like well, like what has religion ever done for anybody? A lot. Here's one: um, the invention of adoption. Like in the first century that, that Jesus walked in, adoption was a thing, but it was completely different. Like adoption for them was because they didn't believe that children had worth the way that we do. Okay, adoption was, hey, I, I'm I'm getting old, I'm gonna die. I have a son who's a screw up who I don't like, so I'm gonna adopt, quote unquote, this other adult and give all my money to him. That was adoption. You can find letters from Romans uh, who who were uh, Roman soldiers who would write their pregnant wives and would say things like, listen, when you give birth, if it's a girl, just leave her out to die. And they believed that. Do you know why? Because to them, children were lesser. And so the, the Christians came along, and they took teachings of Jesus like this from Matthew 19, 14, where he said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such, or for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Okay, because Jesus looked at, at children as human beings with as much worth as adults have, and the early Christians would go, oh man, like, give us the kids, we'll We'll give them homes. That didn't come from like anybody, like any old person. That came from the teachings of Jesus. And his early followers got it. It's why they adopted this mindset and everything that, like their entire view of what even religion was. Like James 127, here's what James breaks down religion as. He says, religion that our God or God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Where did he get that? He got that from Jesus. And we've run with it through human history. Think about what we've seen in the, in the history of our country. Think about the abolition of slavery. Were there people who misquoted the Bible to justify slavery? Yes, there were. But the abolitionists at their core came from a place of, I read the scriptures to tell me this is intolerable. Think of people like William Wiberforce or Abraham Lincoln. What influenced what they did? 
faith in Christ. Hey, this, let's not forget, by the way, that at the center of the, the civil rights movement of the 60s was the church. There's this guy, maybe you've heard of him. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. He was a pastor. He preached the Bible. Why he, why he took the steps that he did and the great risk that he did, the great sacrifice that he had, <laughs> because he believed on Christ. And again, we don't think this way because the entire worldview that we have picked up is one that has already presupposed Christianity and its values. You want to reject God, but you have to understand where you got the very things that you think are right and wrong. I'm telling you, it's not universal. Not every person believes this. Give an example. Back to this idea of racism. Uh, right now, my, my bestest friend in the whole wide world is a guy named Dr. Trey Clark. Has been since childhood. Uh, and what, he, what he's doing is he, he's uh, living in Abu Dhabi. And he's helping them launch a new sea world there. Isn't that neat? Okay? Yeah, it's really cool. And Trey and I were on the phone, and we were talking about just the accepted racism there. Like, particularly towards Filipinos. Like, people from, from Abu Dhabi, they just accept and believe that it, if, if you come from the Philippines, that you are inferior. And nobody questions this. It's just you are. We would never tolerate that here. Do you know why? Because we have grown up in and believed on the teachings of Christ. I mean, this is really, really big. Which leads to the next thing that Jesus has done to absolutely shake the foundations of human history. Number four, he's the bringer of humanitarian relief. Contrary to popular thought and belief, the number one bringer of humanitarian aid is not some celebrity who just had to make a difference. It's the church of Jesus. It's not even close. I mean, the billions upon billions every year that's given to help those that the world had forgotten. I mean, locally abroad, I, I could tell you about our church. I could tell you about like, the, the events that we do. Okay, so we're Christmas wrapping for folks right now. That's neat, but, you, but think about like what, what you guys have been up to while I've been gone, whether that be uh, giving food to people at Thanksgiving, whether that be uh, providing school supplies for kids in our community. I mean, just the list goes on and on. Like, even people in our church that, that don't do church-wide events, how many of you right now, like, you've taken on fostering, you've taken children to care for them. Like, why do you do that? Because you are a Jesus follower. His, his view has shaped the way that you do life. Like, the, the biggest provider of humanitarian relief and care in the world doesn't come from the secular mindset. It comes from Christians, people who have believed on Jesus. And do you know why we believe this? Because of the teachings of Christ. He says it plainly in Matthew 25, 40. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. That's why we do it. Because we believe that, that every person, whether they have prominence or not, matters to God. So they matter to us. That's the next thing that Jesus has shaken in human, in human history was humanitarian relief. But here's, here's the next thing, and this, and, we get, and this is just, I'm amazed at the propaganda that ignores this, just simply this. Number five, uh, scientific breakthroughs. Five, scientific breakthroughs. There is a myth out there that says the church has tried to stifle science. It is a myth. It is not rooted in history. Here's what Paul Davies, who's a the theoretical physicist, writes. By the way, not a Christian. You should just know that. Here's what he says about this, this idea of the church and science. He says, all the early scientists, such as Newton, or Sir Isaac Newton, were religious in one way or another. They saw their science as a means of uncovering traces of God's handiwork in the universe. 
It is a false narrative to believe that the church has tried to stop science and scientists. This is not true. It's just not grounded in reality. It usually comes from a revisionist history of somebody who doesn't want to believe in God. And so what they can do is they think if they can sort of place faith and science at opposite ends as sort of enemies, then, okay, I'll take the logical point that doesn't require me to have faith or submit to anything. It's humanist. It's wrong. It's not True. Again, like think of this false narrative that we have here. We think about, well, no, Bert, because like the Catholic Church, like what, what they tried to do was stop like from basic scientific things. So think about Copernicus, like when, when he dared to suggest that the earth revolves around the sun, that the, the church uh, like persecuted him. Actually, no, it didn't. Let me read you something. This is, okay, in response to Copernicus, okay, this is uh, Nicholas uh, Schoenberg, who was a, a cardinal, uh, of a, I think the name of the place is uh, Capua, but basically a religious higher-up. This is what he writes to Copernicus in response to his theories and, and his works. He says this. He says, I have also, again, this is like Christian writing to him. I have also learned that you have written an exposition of this whole system of astronomy and have computed the planetary motions and set them down in tables to the greatest admiration of all. Now look at what he says here. Therefore, with the utmost earnestness, I entreat you. Meaning saying, please, most learned sir. I mean, hey, man, you are so educated. I so respect you. Unless I inconvenience you. So if it if gets in the way of what you're already trying to do, okay, you can put me to the side. Okay. I, or, okay. To communicate this discovery of yours to scholars. In other words, tell other people about it. Get the word out, man. And at the earliest possible moment to send me your writings on the sphere of the universe together with the tables and whatever else you have that is relevant to the subject. In other words, like, tell everybody that you can. Also, send it to me, man. I heard what you're doing. I think it's great. I would love to hear more. Now, does that sound like the version of the church in history that you've been presented? No. You know why? Because what you've been presented is a lie. It's, it's, it's just not true. Hey, Copernicus's work, by the way, was dedicated to Pope Paul III, just so that you know. So you think he was an atheist who just happened to discover that? No, no, he wasn't. He was a Christian. I mean, we could go on. We could talk about Louis Pasteur, the father, <laughs> or one of those influential, uh, influential figures in, 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 the, in the invention of vaccines. Do you know why Louis Pasteur worked with vaccines the way that he did? It was because he read the Gospels, saw Jesus healing people, and he wanted to heal too. Just so that you know. We can talk about Francis Collins, who was one of the heads of the Human Genome Project, who was an outspoken follower of Jesus. We could talk about the Big Bang Theory, which was articulated, shocker, by a priest. And so when we think about okay, religion and science are at odds, actually, no, they're not. Because there are men and women who read the scriptures, who read the teachings of Christ, and they look at the world around them, and they say, I want to see what God's doing. Oh, like it's, I, I love to observe in the world his handiwork. I mean, we, we, have, we have folks here like that in our church, whether that be uh, students uh, at the University of Delaware and their biology project, their, like their, their C biology program here. Um, they've rolled through as they're pursuing doctoral studies and what have you. And they say like, man, like, I love to study the ocean. I love to study marine life because I just see God's handiwork in it. Whether that be doctors who go, man, I love to worship the Lord through serving others and providing medicine. This idea that faith and science are at odds just isn't true. And, and I just need you to understand this because your entire quality of life has come from Christ. The reason you were vaccinated as a kid, the reason 
you take the medicines and have access to the medicines that you have access to, the reason that you have access to the food that you have access to, and the reason the world and, and, and the capitalism of our country, the way that our country works, the reason all of that is in place is because people have heard the teachings of Jesus and applied them to their circumstance. You can't say, well, religion gets in the way of good things. Religion created the very good things that you're enjoying. Hey, the top universities in the country, just so that you know, while not Christian anymore through an exodus of Christians from them, were created by Christians. Why? Because people believe that to, to be a Jesus follower, that it didn't mean that you turn off your brain and, and discard wisdom and discard, or like discard education. It's just, I mean, it's just not true. And do you know why all of this has happened? Because <laughs> 2,000 years ago, God said he will be great. He will be great. Which leads to the last thing that I think it's important for us to not ignore. An incredible way that Jesus has influenced human history is through changed lives. Changed lives. And this room's full of them. People who would say, I was this way, and then he showed up, and now I'm different. People who would say, okay, I, I didn't know that I could know life like this. I mean, I hear these stories all the time. As I look around this room, I won't air your, your dirt, but you know it. You know it. How is it that a Jewish carpenter's son who had no power, no money, who was martyred at a young age, still is changing lives today? It's because he's great. And we believe it's because he's alive. That death itself couldn't hold him. And you should know that. Listen, Maybe you're, you're here or maybe you're watching online and, or, or abroad. And you, and you say to yourself, why do these people believe the things that, that they believe? It's because we have heard the gospel. We have heard that Jesus came into the world, that he really was and is great, that he changed everything. But the biggest thing that he did was that he died for your sins and mine. That he said, listen, your sins have separated you from God and what you deserve is punishment. And so I'll take the punishment on me. He died in our place. He shed his blood for you and for me. And then he rose from the dead. And the reason he rose from the dead was to give us new life. And then after that, he ascended into heaven where he speaks for us in the presence of God forevermore. And today, if you would say, I don't know Jesus, but I'd like to, I want you to pray with me. This is, here's the neat thing. Um, you know the way that you begin a relationship with anybody? You reach out or you meet them. And so I want to give you an opportunity to meet Christ today. So if you would say, I don't know him or I walked away and I want to come back, I want you just to pray with me. The words aren't magic. If you've got better words, you can use yours. That's fine. But here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Lord, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that if I call out to him, he'll save me. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it and I turn to you. Please lead me in life. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.